Greetings in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you to all who participated in sharing in the service so far. I enjoyed uh, being a listener. And generally I would enjoy continuing to listen. But sometimes I need to share, or I get to share. So, if you looked at your schedule that you got on your email and uh, prayed for Brother Earl this morning, I hope the blessing somehow got bounced over to me. The schedule did get all shifted around this month, and I'm the one who's responsible for causing all that to happen as uh, some different opportunities in life uh, presented themselves and we shifted around some schedule to make things work. <clears throat> so, um, maybe Brother Earl will get a double portion of a blessing next week when you pray for him again because uh, he'll have the message next week. I think he would appreciate that. Um, as we all do appreciate the blessing of God and and your prayers in that behalf. <clears throat> if you're able, again, let's just stand together and have a brief prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning. Thank you for the lovely day. Thank you for the blessings of the day thus far. Thank you for the things that have been brought to our attention here today from the scriptures. We're grateful for that, Lord. Grateful for the uh, hymns of worship that we've been able to participate in. Thankful for the testimony of how a, a hymn, a song of worship could bless a life on a dreary morning. We're grateful for that, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for your care for us and your in so many wondrous ways. Father, as we, as we again come to this hour and uh, look into the scriptures for a message here today, we ask again for your blessing, for your, the inspiration and guidance of your spirit. <clears throat> Lord, uh, pray that uh, there could be something here in this message that is meaningful for each of us in our journey that uh, could uh, assist us, strengthen us, sustain us, uh, guide us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word that is so rich in admonition and instruction and, and, and in inspiration. We're thankful for that, Lord, and again, we, we commit this time to you. Uh, be with us and bless us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so for today's message, I've titled it, Self-Control, a Fruit of the Spirit. The, um, the inspiration or the thoughts, my thoughts uh, started to um, go down this vein of thought 
when I was uh, in uh, just in a brief communication with a with a brother and uh, in that communication this brother mentioned that uh, self-control is a fruit of the spirit and uh, got my mind thinking a bit now we are King uh, largely King James Bible readers uh, well I'm not sure if we can even say that <laughs> Accurately, we use King James probably mostly, but uh, uh, King James doesn't actually use the word self-control. If we go to uh, Galatians 5.22 and 23, where the uh, fruits of the Spirit are listed... just reading those verses, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. The word temperance is in in, uh, the ESV, for example, or or, uh, probably various other translations use the word self-control for that uh, for the word temperance, which temperance does, uh, and we'll look at the definition just a little bit more, uh, a bit further along. So that's the um, <clears throat> the uh, where the the concept of self-control we start to find it in the scriptures, and of course it's a concept that is weaved throughout. But uh, uh, in Second Peter. Just looking at a few scriptures where the uh, concept is present, but not always uh, in the in the wording in our in our translation. But in Second Peter one five to eight, again it's the word temperance. <clears throat> but reading those verses here, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance. To temperance, patience. To patience, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There we have the word uh, temperance, which again in... uh, some translations it would be translated self-control. We have a scripture um, in Acts 24, verse 25, and this is uh, Paul reasoning with Felix, and he, and he says this, And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. So, uh, kind of interesting that uh, uh, as Paul reasons with Felix, he actually uses that concept of temperance, self-control. Righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Obviously, the uh, the, uh, 
concept of temperance or self-control is closely woven into the gospel. In other words, uh, as Paul is presenting this heathen man with the gospel, uh, he, and, and he breaks it down into real-life subjects, this is one of the subjects that he hits on. Uh, temperance, self-control, and what the gospel will do in a, in a person's life. <clears throat> Another verse <clears throat> that we're familiar with, 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And that uh, is also the... Uh, some translations would translate that self-control, of a sound mind, of self-control. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. So those are uh, some of the different um, New Testament scriptures that specifically zero in on that subject. Um, temperance, self-control, a fruit of the Spirit. The um, we're just looking at uh, dictionary definitions. Temperance temperance is simply a moderation in action, thought, or feeling. Uh, habitual moderation in the indulgences of the appetites or passions. An avoidance of extremes in one's actions, beliefs, or habits. <clears throat> That's uh, some of the definitions of temperance. And then self-control, and some of this particular uh, dictionary didn't have self-control listed under temperance. Some do. Uh, self-control, uh, restraint exercised over one's impulses, emotions, or desires. One's impulses, emotions, or desires. Um, let's just look at an example. Sometimes uh, looking at the opposite can be helpful. We have a scripture in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, and if you wish you can turn there. That gives us the, uh, a picture of the opposite of self-control. It gives us a picture of excesses. In uh, Ephesians, uh, where am I at here? Lost my place. Uh, it's First Peter. First Peter four three and four. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. So, uh, there we have a scripture that depicts the opposite of self-control, uh, which is basically excesses on every level uh, of passion and, and, and desire that, uh, that human beings experience. Um, you know, as we think about um, as we think about the word, as we think about the concept of temperance, uh, self-control, and such, um, 
One of the things that, uh, that uh, I thought about is self-control is it's one of those things that um, it only, you, only, you only exercise it when there is an opportunity to be uh, in excess. Um, if there's not an opportunity to be in excess, then you're not exercising self-control. Sorry if you were feeling pretty good about something that... Uh, <laughs> um, and, and maybe we could even... I'm not sure how far to follow that through. You know, there's... Uh, uh, I personally... I guess I think I'm right to say that I do not exercise any self-control. <laughs> this is going to sound a little odd. But I do not a- exercise any self-control concerning alcoholic beverages. Right? I, it, it, I don't have to. It's not something that even comes on my radar of desire. So I don't exercise self-control. I, right? <laughs> it's kind of an interesting concept. But anyhow. Uh, so exercising self-control generally has to do with, with opportunity and desire. You know, uh, I would have opportunity to acquire alcoholic beverages, but, you know, walking through the grocery or the store that sells them, there's no self-control being exercised on my part because there's absolutely no desire for it. I can walk by it and actually look at it and it creates zero interest in my heart. So I'm not exercising self-control as a, as a, as a virtue. Uh, and... You know, therefore, that, that actually brings out another kind of little rabbit trail here. Therefore, it's actually to your uh, best interest to not um, awaken the desire for sinful things in your life unnecessarily. You know, there's enough of that that comes just with being in life and having... But uh, once you awaken those desires, once you've taken of it, uh, th- those desires can, you know, and even... You know, in Christ you can find deliverance and sanctification and a new life. And you can be some years down the road and, and something can trigger and wake up that desire again. Uh, so, just a side point. Uh, to not, uh, to not uh, awaken desires for sinful things if... If you can prevent it as a young person, you know, it's often in our youth that we kind of foolishly delve into things and uh, not realizing that there can be repercussions in years to come that we wouldn't have to face if we hadn't delved into this or that thing. <clears throat> so, self-control, um, a fruit of the Spirit. Another uh, aspect of self-control that I'd like to bring in the, today here, I'd like to try to, uh, we have several points we're going to look at, but I'd like to uh, try to bring a, the pers- this perspective in on some of these points. And that is, you know, when we think about self-control, we generally, um, I'm not sure if I can illustrate it or not, um, but we generally think on the, 
on the side of um, restraining ourselves in areas uh, of things that are, how do I say it? Um, yeah, generally self-control is viewed as, as a restraint. In other words, uh, restraining our actions, our passions, our... Uh, but I'd like us to also think about the fact that self-control has another facet of it, and that is actually um, that of taking action when we should, when we don't want to. And, and self-control can actually uh, come into play where we know we should do something, say something, uh, but we don't want to. And self-control can be the the tool to move us past those feelings and actually do what we know we should do. So I want to try to bring that perspective in a bit as well. When we think about the subject of self-control, obviously we could go to dozens of different topics. Uh, you know, just uh, the simple, the one that's so common uh, when we talk about self-control today is that of devices. Well, I'm not going to go there today. <laughs> we touch those, you know, there's some subjects, if we're not careful, we hit them in every sermon. Um, but it applies. You know, we self-control in, in our, in our uh, passions, you know, it's a big thing. I'm not really planning to go there either today. I uh, do want to touch, though, on a few points. One of them is, and the first one we're going to look at, is simply self-control in our speech. Uh, Peter, in First Peter, says this, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips, that they speak no guile. Um, self-control in our speech. That scripture gives us uh, one example. And then James, which is a familiar one when it comes to our tongue and our speech. Uh, James chapter 1, first of all, verse 26 says, if, a man, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth, bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. And then when we go to uh, chapter 3, and we pick up, uh, yeah, we just pick up in verse 1 and go to verse 10. Uh, it says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great are, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and boasteth, boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, 
and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father. Therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings, my brethren. These things ought not so to be. And I think I'll stop there. As I, I, even as I was reading that, I couldn't help but think, wow, James had quite a uh, verdict to declare about this tongue of ours, doesn't he? Uh, he just about dooms the thing completely and, and uh, leaves no room for any good uh, 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 in it. But anyhow, he, he, uh, he's addressing a, a, a serious issue that, uh, that all of us, to some level, have to, from time to time, reckon with in our own lives, where we say things that cause trouble. Uh, we are not discreet in the use of our tongue, or we uh, repeat, repeat things that were intended to be confidential, or we uh, just plain down gossip, or whatever it is. Uh, it can happen. <clears throat> Further along in James chapter 4, verse 11, he says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. For he that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. Um, I think I'll stop there. Uh, in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Uh, these these verses, again, as I said earlier, these verses speak of using our tongue in a wrong way. Um, and uh, to exercise self-control in the, in the use of our tongue is a, is a great importance. Um, and it's, I'm going to say it's helpful, I trust it's helpful to realize that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Um, we have help in it, is what I'm saying. The Lord is here to help us in these things. Uh, he gives us, uh, when we recognize our need, our problem, He is there to empower us. And that's what the Spirit is all about. It is a fruit of the Spirit. And uh, He's there to empower us to correct the problem, to uh, recognize it, overcome it, um, control it, even though James says it can't be controlled. Uh, I think we all recognize, and I, I'm not exactly sure what James was totally driving at when he makes such a, some of these really strong statements about the tongue that it cannot be controlled, but um, I guess I say it's not hopeless. We can, by the Spirit, with the help of the Spirit, uh, find can change some of our ways if they're not pleasing to God, even with our tongue. <clears throat> now, I'd like to just switch to the other side of that, this uh, perspective in that uh, there, is, uh, there is another aspect of self-control in our speech. Uh, and we find that in 
just for example, uh, Proverbs 25.11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. Uh, and let, let's just look at Proverbs 15.23. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. Um, a word spoken in due season, how good it is. And then we have these words, this verse in Isaiah 50, verse 4, The Lord hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should, make, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning, he waketh mine ear to hear as, to, as the learned. Um, Again, just uh, noting that, that uh, the Lord hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. <clears throat> so there's, uh, there's, of course, the aspect of uh, self-control in use, uh, being careful to not uh, have our tongue out of control in that it speaks things that are hurtful and things that are destructive and things that are uh, tear thing, tear people down and so on. But then there's the side of uh, that there's occasion and opportunity where a word can be spoken and that is meaningful and helpful in the situation. And Maybe self-control is a good word to use there sometimes. Maybe sometimes you don't feel like saying anything. You don't feel like you have anything to offer. But uh, if you... And sometimes you would, in fact, have the, the very word that is needed at that point and... Uh, but you, for whatever reason, feel like, uh, well, it's um, maybe intimidating, maybe you're intimidated, maybe whatever, whatever, and you don't speak up. Maybe you should have exercised a little bit of self-control and spoken up. Does that make sense? Um, and offered that word that would have been fitting, that would have been encouraging. And perhaps this goes a little more to those who uh, are not so quick to speak. You know, there are some of those that are not so quick to speak and uh, you have to coax them a little and you have to set the right environment so that they'll speak. Uh, there's, there's time, maybe, maybe self-control comes in there too. Uh, and uh, we should uh, allow God to motivate us or, or step past our fears to hear ourselves speak and uh, offer that word that encourages, that blesses, that is the fitting word at the moment. <clears throat> so maybe that is a, a measure of self-control as well. Alright, I'd like to move on. Uh, I'd like to talk just a little bit about uh, self-control of our emotions. Now, I think we all recognize that as human beings, we are emotional beings. Um, many of us are perhaps uh, by our genetic 
nature are not as emotional perhaps as uh, in some levels as uh, our African counterparts uh, but nonetheless we are emotional people and perhaps we're just emotional in different ways uh, than they are um, so what are what uh, what's the definition of our of, an, of our emotion a conscious mental reaction such as anger or fear subjectively experienced as strong feeling usually directed toward a specific object and typically accompanied with physiological and behavioral changes in the body now that was a kind of a big long spiel but that's your emotions by the way <laughs> If you don't understand them, that's okay because most times we don't don't understand our emotions. <laughs> uh, anyhow, it's a, it's a state of feeling: uh, happiness, sadness, fear, anger, surprise, disgust, anxiety, excitement, uh, sympathy. You know, just a whole host of. I was studying up up in that a little bit, and and uh, some. Uh, would have uh, indicated that there's like six or so uh, basic emotions, and but now scientists have discovered that there's 27 emotions and and uh, and so on. So, anyhow, uh, I think it's summed up in in some of the basic ones, and uh, uh, and we don't have to necessarily look at a whole list of 27 to be all inclusive. <clears throat> but in general, it's probably. Probably the two most common ones are simply that of gladness and sadness for us as human beings. And there are diversions from that. But uh, in general, uh, rejoicing, uh, gladness, sadness, rejoicing or, or weeping, you know. And those we actually find in the scriptures. Uh, in, uh, when we think about rejoicing, for example, uh, in Luke... 1021 in that hour Jesus rejoiced in spirit uh, so I don't know what that exactly looked like but he rejoiced in spirit he's and said I thank thee O father Lord of heaven and earth that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes even so father for it seemed good in thy sight so right where they were at at that point in Jesus' ministry, on that day, in that specific moment, Jesus saw something unfolding, and, and it was the fact that the wise and prudent weren't able to get a hold of this whole thing, and this, and this, and the simple uh, were. And, uh, and Jesus observed that very thing unfolding in front of his eyes, and he rejoiced. He, his, his heart uh, responded with joy. Now, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? You know, you, you go through life, and... and there are certain points in life where something unfolds and it just causes you much gladness of heart, right? I mean, I hope you have some of those moments. Uh, it sure helps life if we do. Uh, so, rejoicing. Uh, it's, it's a part, it's a human uh, experience, part of our, our emotion. Um, Another scripture here in Luke 17, here the, the people were rejoicing. It says, and when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things we had, which, he had, which were done by him. 
there the people rejoiced in the things that Jesus was doing. <clears throat> uh, we have several examples of, uh, in Scripture of Paul uh, in rejoicing. And I'll just read a couple verses. And not by his coming only, but by, and this in 2 Corinthians 7, 7. And not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoiced the more. And here, Paul had gotten word of the uh, uh, Corinthian churches and their responses to his admonitions. And when he heard those responses, it caused joy. He, was, he rejoiced. It was a, it was a part of his, his emotion of joy. Uh, Bubbled over at that point. Second uh, John 1 verse 4, I rejoice greatly that I have found of thy children walking in truth. Third uh, John 1 3, For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in truth. So, some of the uh, examples of rejoicing. I also thought of the one where David, there in the Old Testament, when they brought the ark back and David was uh, uh, dancing and rejoicing and singing in, in front of uh, in, in leading the procession of the ark returning to uh, Israel. Rejoicing. Then there's also examples in the scripture of weeping. Uh, we have, uh, and let's turn to this one, John 11:32. I'll read verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 32 to 36. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping with which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Don't know exactly what that means. He groaned in the spirit, but just uh, thinking about emotion seems like it's a little something going on there. And then verse thirty-four, and he said, "Where have they? Where have ye laid him?" And they said unto him, "Come, Lord, come and see." And then we have, I guess, what is considered the shortest verse in the Bible: Jesus wept. And some of them said. Couldn't, I'm going to just going to read two more verses. Some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? And Jesus therefore, again, uh, again groaning in himself, cometh to the cave, and it was a, cometh to the grave, and it was a cave and a stone laid upon it. And I think I'll stop there. We know that Jesus uh, called him forth. But anyhow, uh, just looking at Jesus' response, his groanings, his, and I'm not, yeah. Not sure why he uh, expressed those things in in if it's kind of an it seems like an emotional response, uh, groaning and and weeping and all that. Uh, again, just an example of that we see in the life of our Lord. 
Another one we have is in Luke, Luke 19. Let's turn to that one as well. Luke 19, beginning in verse 41, verse 42. says, And when he was come near and beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now are they hid from thine eyes. And here, again, Jesus is, he's, uh, He's, in his heart, he's realizing what's going to happen. He's realizing how things are unfolding. He's realizing that they, these are his people. Uh, the, they have the law. They have, they have been, per se, the, the people who've been following God. And at this juncture in the road, they're missing it. And he realizes they're going to miss it. And it caused him weeping as he looked over the city and realized that what's going to happen. They're going to miss it. They're going, they're going to uh, reject the Messiah. They're going to reject their opportunity. And uh, as, it, as it says, uh, is it in this scripture where he uh, says that, uh, yeah, the next verse is that the enemies will cast a trench about him. And lay, I uh, believe it's yeah, verse 44, and they shall lay thee even with the ground. Uh, as he considered all of that, it, 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 uh, we see his emotions coming out over it. <clears throat> Anyhow, so, uh, control of our emotions. You know, emotions are a real thing, and they affect different people differently, and, and, uh, they're a part of our lives, and we should never be ashamed of the fact that they're a part of our lives. Um, but again, there's something that uh, we do well to exercise self-control at times. Uh, and of course, that I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, trying to discourage you from rejoicing and getting a little bit animated when you rejoice. Not at all. Uh, I'm not encouraging you to put on a false front when there's something heavy in your heart and your emotions are sad. I'm not uh, encouraging you in that at all. I think, uh, I think those are a very real part of our lives. But uh, let's maybe, maybe, to, maybe to think about where self-control would come in at, um, maybe, it'll, maybe it's easier if we think about children. You know, uh, children tend to uh, not uh, be very careful about emotions and if uh, they don't get their own way, they might uh, sulk. They might pout. Uh, they might just put on a very miserable personality with hopes that they can sway the situation in their favor and get what they want. Isn't that the reason? Generally speaking, you know, sometimes uh, we, we do have to be careful with our emotions. Sometimes, uh, you know, emotions are a good thing. They have their place, they're right, they're part of us. But we do have to be careful that uh, we don't try to use emotions to manip manipulate uh, 
situations or people or circumstances or whatever. Uh, we can do those things, actually, as adults. Um, just something to be aware of. We can... Uh, we can put on a pouty face and make uh, life miserable for those around us until things turn in our favor. Uh, sometimes, especially if we uh, didn't learn to control our emotions as children, those things can follow us into adulthood and then we have to reckon with it there. And so, um, anger is, a, is an emotion that people often use uh, to control circumstances and situations. Uh, I don't know, it, you know, it's not unusual for, uh, so if there, a person, there's something in their life that uh, they're responsible for and in an effort to turn the focus away from their responsibility, they, they uh, can tend to respond with anger. And uh, so, uh, you who are working, uh, you who are involved in the situation, uh, your focus turns to how do you reconcile and work with this angry person and you forget about the other issue that was the real issue that caused the person to respond in anger and control uh, out of an, a controlling effort. Um, It happens in life, and I think, yeah, it's something to think about in our lives. You know, we, it can be a pretty subtle thing, not, not necessarily just saying about anger, but emotions, just emotions in general. It can be a subtle way of controlling our circumstances and our uh, environment. And so something to think about. I'm not going to try to identify it for each of us, but uh, something that's uh, a reality that we do well to be aware of and try to avoid as much as possible. <clears throat> like to uh, spend just a little bit of time on self-control in our finances. Um, you can turn to First Timothy chapter six. Verse 16 and 17, actually verse 17 and 18 of First Timothy 6. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Maybe I'll read that in the ESV as well. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. 
that they do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So the, um, the context here, or just some of the practical instruction that uh, Paul gives Timothy regarding those who uh, are uh, well off financially, I'll say it that way, uh, says they're to do good to, and to be uh, uh, rich in good works. So the, the context is our finances. So I would suppose that the good works that he's encouraging us in involves our finances, right? I think we just kind of figure that if it's in that context, that's what it involves. So... Uh, Does it also involve our heart? I think it does. If we are rich in good works, does that mean that we are alert to opportunities? So uh, if uh, we're going to be rich in good works, then we have to somehow have our heart engaged to recognize, to search out, to be aware of the opportunities that are, are out there for us. If our hearts are not engaged, we probably won't the, the opportunities will pass us by and we'll never see them. So, while it involves our heart, it also involves our pocketbooks uh, being rich in good works in this, uh, in this area. The, um, it, it, it's been, it's been, uh, Interesting to observe, not surprising, but interesting to observe that uh, the Anabaptist financial in doing seminars for businesses, and I did not personally get to attend the business one, I did the employee one, but one of their topics I had noticed in just reviewing their uh, uh, schedule for that business one, one of their topics that they addressed in this past uh, one was that of the financial success that our plain communities have been experiencing in the last two years as a result of... <laughs> uh, our plain communities have actually been doing better financially. Uh, in fact, they've had a, quite a burst in financial success in these last couple of years and thus the uh, folks who pulled together that schedule saw it necessary to actually speak to that subject and advise uh, our people how to properly respond to that success and not allow it to become our destruction <clears throat> which is a very valid and real concern. You know, I think we would agree that uh, we all are well-to-do. I use that word, well-to-do. It says rich here. We are well-to-do. Um, and thus this scripture uh, 
these exhortations that are given uh, that Paul gave to Timothy to pass on to the to the believers are for us uh, that we what we wouldn't become high-minded that we wouldn't trust in uncertain riches but in the living God uh, that we would be would do good that we would be rich in good works ready to distribute willing to communicate willing to uh, uh, meet the needs of others we have the uh, we have that account in uh, Luke let's see let's let's look at that one as well it's a familiar one Luke 12 Luke 12, verse 16 to verse 21. <clears throat> Jesus here teaching, and he, he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth not up so is he, is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Uh, there's a, quite a few things that can be said about this scripture. Um, I'd like us to think about... Uh, so this man here, uh, first off, he could, he could afford to build the barns that he was building. That's, that's obvious. Uh, things were going well and he could afford it. I have a question. The fact that he could afford it, that make it right? Is that the only factor that we factor in when we make decisions? The fact that I can afford it. It's one to think about. And I know that's not the only thing that was going on here. But... Uh, it is one to think about uh, when you're doing, when you're financially well off. You can very easily just, well, I can afford it. I can do it. But is that really okay? Is that really right in making our uh, financial decisions? It, um, it probably um, affects us more than we sometimes think, sometimes realize. Uh, just the fact that we can, uh, we have the means, so therefore we can do it. Um, but we have to ask ourselves, I think sometimes we should ask ourselves, does it fit? the kingdom theology that we profess. You know, we, 
we profess that uh, we, uh, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. We profess that there's uh, two different kingdoms. There's the kingdom of Jesus Christ and there's the kingdoms of this world. And uh, while we, uh, you know, a, a successful business is not necessarily a thing uh, that belong, is, in the, is not necessarily categorized in the kingdoms of this world, even though it is operating in this world. Uh, we have to get that straight. Uh, but probably has more to do with, uh, with how we handle it, uh, how we, uh, what we make of it, as to whether that successful business is in fact part of the kingdoms of this world or whether it is in fact a part of the other kingdom. Uh, you know, successful businesses can very much be a part of uh, the kingdom of Christ and Again, I say that carefully, but um, I do appreciate the emphasis and effort that is being, uh, I'm going to say, channeled into the plain community uh, as, it regard, uh, as it relates to being business owners and business operators as opposed to being farmers that they were for many years. Um, been a significant shift in our culture. And there is uh, there's a lot of uh, teaching and resources being channeled into the, into the uh, plain community businesses to uh, maintain kingdom values in those on the business front. To not just use a business to build your empire, but to use business opportunities first off to to build your employees, you know, to build their lives, to build them spiritually, to make them a better person, to build your clients. You know, there, there's all those kind of dynamics that are being taught and encouraged and I'm thankful for that. I think it's, uh, it's important. It's actually very important. Uh, it's not... Uh, it's, it's, when business is successful, there's a danger of, of us, just like this scripture says, trusting in uncertain riches. And we have to be warned and taught and exhorted and, and uh, keep our focus right where we focus uh, where our goal and our drive is not just the uh, not just the bottom line and how much uh, profit did we have last month doesn't mean we ignore that uh, but it's not the driving factor um, doesn't mean we don't try to get our uh, uh, employees and our crews to do their best job to do it the most efficiently to operate the business in the, in, the, in, in the most efficiently as possible. All those things can be a part of a kingdom-driven uh, uh, business. But uh, we have to be careful in the sense of uh, whether our focus becomes the dollar or whether it becomes blessing the community.
community, blessing our employees, blessing our uh, I don't know how things are in, in, in I've not worked very many places at all myself. Um, I've been mostly my, my own boss in life. I currently have the opportunity to be an employee. And I, I, uh, I, um, I, I am grateful. I am grateful for the environment that I have to work in and grateful for the effort that is put into making it a kingdom uh, principled business that is involves the well-being of everyone in the crew. Uh, it's, I guess I kind of, like I said, I haven't worked very, very many places, but I kind of feel like from my experience uh, or just, it seems, it seems, how do I say it? I, I guess I'm doubtful that there's that many businesses that actually run uh, on that level of of uh, seeking out the well-being of of everyone involved, the crew, and and setting a, a, a an environment for that to happen. <clears throat> Anyhow, uh, back to our subject of finances and self-control. Uh, you know, just because we have the means, does that uh, justify spending the money? Probably not. Uh, there are other factors that we should think about. All right, I think I'm going to move along and uh, we'll wrap this up. So, uh, again, coming back to the thought that um, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Just looking at a few verses that relate to the fruit of the Spirit, or the, the Spirit rather. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Several other verses that are similar. Verse 4 of Romans 8, That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Galatians five sixteen. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And uh, Galatians 5.25, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Those verses uh, highlight the difference of what is driving us or what we are pursuing, whether we are walking in the flesh or whether we are walking in the Spirit, what is actually our motivation. And uh, when we think about self-control, it is a fruit of the Spirit. And as we walk in the Spirit, we should see self-control working itself out in our experience if we are walking in the Spirit. Excesses are part of the flesh. You know, we looked at that early on in the message. And, uh, you know, 
this whole thing of self-control in general is not, is not a line between the right and the wrong necessarily. It's a line between uh, excesses and moderation. In, uh, a line between being controlled by something versus using something, you might say. Uh, it's of service to us. You know, much of what we talked about, Just let's just take food for example. So, uh, food is necessary, right? Y'all yeah, yeah, wouldn't live very long if, uh, we'd, if we all decided we're going to quit eating. If food is an excess, no more eating. In, in, uh, in about uh, a month and a half, this church would be empty. Um, but, excess... Excess is, uh, uh, is that necessary? Well, no, it's not necessary. Okay, how do we cut the difference? Self-control. Self-control is what makes the difference of whether we uh, participate in excess or in moderation. Uh, and so that's, there, there's a lot of things we could uh, look at as examples, but that's one. Uh, so if we uh, if we walk in the spirit, we should uh, uh, the uh, the spirit will uh, work in us that self control. It'll help us. I I, I don't uh, I don't feel like it's an automatic thing. Okay, I'm a Christian now. These things all just happen. <laughs> just doesn't work quite that way. We have to be aware. We have to be aware of of uh, what we need to work on, and then the spirit is there to to empower us. As we engage, the Spirit engages and helps us. And if we follow the flesh, we can expect excesses and uncontrolled uh, indulgences in our lives. So, self-control, it is a fruit of the Spirit. I hope that can be an encouragement to you. If you are able, let's kneel together and we'll close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we come in Jesus' name again as we come to the conclusion of these thoughts. Thank you again, Lord, for the Word of God and its uh, timeless principles that speak into all areas of our lives. Thank you. Thank you for this assembly and each one present. Ask again a blessing on each one and also those who may have had a desire to be here and were not able, ask a blessing on them as well. And then, Lord... Again, where we can learn, where, we, where there's something that can be meaningful to our lives, I pray that we could receive that and, uh, and uh, it could make a difference. That we could uh, truly engage in kingdom life in a way that uh, reflects you in all aspects of life. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for the gifts of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit and their ability to help us, the Spirit to help us, and uh, our need for that. Thank you. Thank you that you do equip us. We have no other uh, source of help. We have no other source of uh, sustenance but from you. So thank you, Lord. Thank you also for the freedom to gather this way. Thank you for our governments and our the freedom that we experience in this land. Do bless us.
and help us to be a blessing and to seize the opportunities that uh, are available to us while, while we enjoy this freedom, Lord. So, Father, again, thank you. Thank you for your care for us and for each one here. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>